The scripture that we're going to hear today from the book of Exodus offers an especially difficult spiritual lesson. Moses, the Hebrew child rescued from a river by an Egyptian princess, is now a grown man. In his time, you'll recall, the Hebrews lived as slaves in Egypt, building their temples and suffering under their oppressive yoke. Now Moses is in a unique and somewhat unenviable position, living amongst the taskmasters who oppress his own people. And here in this context, Moses witnesses a horrific act of brutality, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. Now what happens next begs a difficult question. Can you stand up for the oppressed without becoming an oppressor? Can you condemn violence without resorting to violence? Can you, as Nietzsche famously said, battle monsters without becoming a monster? One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me? as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Hear what the Spirit is now saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting and merciful God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you, and may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, in whose name we pray, amen. So there's an old episode of The Twilight Zone that really scares me. I'll spare you the Rod Serling impression. But uh, the episode is called It's a Good Life, and it features a six-year-old boy with godlike powers. His name is Anthony Fremont, and he can teleport, he can move objects with his mind, he can transform anyone into anything he likes. Now, if anyone gets on Anthony's bad side, he banishes them to the soil beneath the town's abandoned cornfield. Now, we all know how temperamental small children can be. So his parents and neighbors, of course, are terrified of this kid, and they all strive to appease his every wish and desire, lest they incur his indomitable wrath. Now, it's not that this story is really any more unsettling than any other episode of The Twilight Zone. It's just that as the father of a three-year-old, I find it extremely relatable. (laughs) Levi. Little Levi, short for Leviathan, named after the great 
monstrous sea creature of the Old Testament. He's adorable, cute as a button. Love him to death, but his insatiable appetite for protein in the form of chicken nuggets, his constant exercise, and his obsession with, 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 with muscle-bound superheroes has bulked him up beyond the capacities of an ordinary toddler. To put it in context, you might not know this from looking at him, but Levi weighs more than his older brother, who is four and a half years his senior, more than twice his age. I took Levi to one of those little indoor playgrounds at the shopping mall. Uh, you know, they had this, um, this punching bag hanging from the ceiling, and they had these, these little boxing gloves you could put on. He, got, he was very excited by this. He, he put them on gleefully and began pounding this, this punching bag, which was a pretty good size. You know, I'm super strong. I do not like you, sir. He shouted out as he landed a punch that sent this thing flying up into the air as far as it would go. Now, most of the time, Levi's a sweet little kid, happy as can be. But like Anthony Fremont, you don't want to get on his bad side. One day, not too long ago, we were at the toy store. And, uh, you know, he started throwing a fit in the aisles because I wouldn't buy him as many toys as he wanted. You know, I would only get him two or three instead of the four or five, you know, he was asking for. So finally, it got to the point where I had to tell him that he wasn't getting anything. And we had to leave. So I picked him up and carried him out of the store in spite of his cries and protests. All you parents out there have been there, right? Well, once we got to the parking lot, he decided to show me who was really in charge. With a swift and merciless motion, Levi karate chopped me in the face hard. You, um, you haven't seen me wearing these glasses for a few weeks because um, they broke in two on impact, flying onto the pavement. I was momentarily stunned, but not entirely surprised. This was the second time this had happened, after all. The first was when I was on a conference call at home with uh, the church moderators. And I had to put Levi in his room because he was acting up. Karate chop, broken glasses. Anyway, I carried Levi into the car and I, I somehow I got him into his car seat while he was raining blows down upon my head. I beg of you, relent! I might have cried out if I were in a Shakespearean drama. As it was, I just kept begging him to stop. You got spirit, kid. Or maybe you just hate these glasses as much as your mother does. <laughs> I am fortunate that for most of my life, I have managed to avoid physical violence. Aside from trading a few blows with my older brother and you know getting stabbed in high school and now getting punched by my own son, life hasn't treated me too badly. I've managed to talk my way out of most uh, potential altercations, although there was the one time I had to de-escalate a situation by threatening to hit a bully in the face with a frozen turkey. It's a long story. Suffice to say, he stood down. But violence, friends, comes in many forms, and bullies don't always stand down.
We hear about it all the time in the news, don't we? A bloody rampage in New Zealand, the violent rhetoric of countless demagogues, the latest threat of stoning for the LGBT community in Brunei. Back in the 80s, everything was better in the 80s, if you ask me, people watched the 5 o'clock news, maybe they read the morning paper, and, uh, you know, you'd hear about some crime or some political scandal, and, you know, you'd shake your head sadly, but you'd get on with your day. You'd get on with your life. It feels different nowadays, doesn't it, in this age of the 24-hour news cycle. It feels like we are constantly bombarded with bad news. The talking heads seem angrier than they used to. Social media invites a kind of participation in the world's problems that turns every opinion into a personal affront, deepening the divide between people until it occasionally explodes in the kind of violence that you hear about in the news. And listening to this all day, day in and day out, it almost feels as though we are under attack. I wake up every morning bleary-eyed and I reach for my glasses and for my phone. Before I'm really even awake, I'm scanning my news feed. And before I've gotten out of bed, I've already read an article or two about Brexit or the Mueller investigation or some workplace shooting. Once I'm out of the house and the kids are dropped off, I'm usually at Dunkin' Donuts for a few minutes with, with a cup of coffee and I'll, I'll read up uh, on the news for another 20 minutes or so, maybe catching up on uh, what's going on with immigrants at the border or attempting to uh, diffuse nuclear tensions with North Korea. And I look up from my, from my phone and my coffee and the, the news is right there on the TV at the coffee shop. I see the news ticker reporting some outrageously offensive tweet by some senator that I've never heard of, but I've already decided that I don't like him. At lunch, if I'm not meeting with some of, someone or catching up on my email, I'm scanning the news again on my phone. Riots in Venezuela and France, another random shooting, another scandal in Washington, Democrats and Republicans wringing their hands and bashing each other on Twitter and lying in bed that night for reasons I can't entirely explain beyond an unhealthy addiction. I'm still reading the news. Swimming, drowning in these deeply partisan waters, I find myself getting more angry, more irritable, more depressed, and yet somehow more apathetic at the same time. It makes it easier to dislike or even hate people that I don't agree with. I almost feel like I'm being programmed to hate them one article at a time. Does that make sense? Can you relate? As a pastor and maybe just a, a citizen or a human being, I feel like I have a responsibility to stay informed. But I look at all of the injustice and the oppression and the hate and the stupidity all day long, and it feels, it feels a little like being punched in the face over and over again. I beg of you, 
I whisper to no one in particular. Relent. Stop. Please, just stop. When I was just a boy, I went to a private school for many years, and we had to wear a uniform. Hideous thing. Came with this putrid yellow dress shirt. Anyway, the, the shirts came with these little loops on the back of the collar that you could use to hang the shirt up on a hook. Now, all of the kids in my class one day got together and decided that if you didn't immediately cut that little tag off your shirt, that meant you were gay. Because obviously. <laughs> well, even at the time, when I was in what, third, fourth grade, I don't remember, I thought that was so stupid, so idiotic, that I refused to cut mine off as a matter of principle. And that went about as well for me as you'd expect it to. They'd call me names, they'd ridicule me, push me around. Maybe that's why as an adult I, I'm such a strong advocate for LGBTQ rights, because oddly enough, I know what it's like to be mocked and abused for being gay, even though I'm not. And when I read the news and I hear about people being tormented in this way, people of color or immigrants or queer folks or Muslims, it makes me angry. It brings up all of those old feelings from childhood. And man, there's a lot in the news that makes me angry. But there is a fine line between anger and hate. And what is hate exactly? You could define it in many ways, but for me it's, it's a refusal to recognize the other person as a human being, a refusal to believe that they might have any redeeming qualities, and maybe even a desire to see that person come to harm. 